We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Heading down to At The Bay, where we're going to walk through this and talk about our reaction to this text. Been a while since we visited our girl Catherine Mansfield, hasn't it, sir? It has, and... I am prejudiced against the bay because I cannot stand sand. It's coarse, it's rough, and it gets everywhere. <laughs> so you're going to pull an Anakin Skywalker on me and hate the story because it has sand in it. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the, the narration opens up with this shepherd walking his dog and the sheep, wags, and they come across Flory, the cat, right? So I thought this was, to me, an interesting story the way it's broken out across the day. Right, we get these small little vignettes. We dip in and out of different characters' minds. I didn't look to see if it was free and direct speech. We enter, yeah, like we enter into the person's mind and then we also exit and have a third person view, I think. I, I would have to double check, but I think we literally are pulling a Ulysses of, of having a day with this family moving in and out of people's heads. And we get this impressionistic view of life in this community. I love this idea if it was made into like a movie because I imagined that the camera started filming the bay and then kind of flew down followed the shepherd and then it transitioned to the cat and then it transitioned to the next person it was just one shot the entire short film was one shot never broke never changed mm. and it was just moving from person to person and you were moving from their existence to the next person existence and I think that Manfield is incredible at showing us how these mundane features of each person's lives are all interconnected and how important we are to one another. Or even juxtaposed against each other. And I love that idea of a one-shot film for this. I, I really do like those. But let's let's move into the story, right? So the first person we kind of meet is Stanley Burnell, assuming you haven't read some of her other stories with these characters. <laughs> and he he wants to go swimming, right? He's gotta be first. And gosh <laughs> darn it, that darn trout is in his water. Stanley's a competitive person by nature, and I think this is something that is very stereotypical of your kind of macho man, right? Is he's he's got to be number one, he's got to be best, uh, and he has to prove it that he's going to beat everybody. I thought it was hilarious, this interaction between him and Trout, and that the guy beating him on swimming is named Trout. <laughs> <laughs> I, um... I got to admit that I like I like the high drama <laughs> of the scene. But no, seriously, I, I do like how, to me, Stanley also embodies that person that has to have things a certain way. When things don't go the way that he intends, as we see as he moves into the house where he wants his walking stick. Nobody knows where my walking stick is. My wife is ignoring me. He... He, he, he's got an, an immediate impression of selfishness in the beginning opening scenes because he wants things a certain way. And literally the, the way that his day is rocked by these waves from trout, quote, pun intended, uh, shows you that he, he doesn't deal with 
with with I think Stanley is also a man of routine and I can understand that it gives him his life meaning. He goes to work at a certain time, he does his swim at a certain time, he has dinner at a certain time and that routine allows him to thrive and when that is given a monkey wrench, then it disrupts his natural flow. His happiness is in the routine of mundane life. See, and this is why you have recordings with your friend because they can finish your sentences better than you could have finished them. (laughs) (laughs) But is there not also, because we've read a lot of Mansfield at this point in time, we also have to talk about the gender, right, divide. She's very good about entering into both male and female awareness, seeing the weaknesses and the pros and the cons of each of them. She shows us that as soon as the male leaves, right, the guy that has to have his way leaves, immediately they're like, freedom? Oh, thank goodness the man is gone. And the maid even like drowns like the teapot in the sink, pretending it's a guy. Like <laughs> it's, it's very interesting that the way that Stanley needs to control to feel comfort, like the, a routine, as you said, it also shows how it strangles some of the joy and freedom from the female lives in his, his life. Oh, I like how you worded that. I thought it kind of that this is your time period where there's not a lot of freedom and choice uh, for women in the country, uh, being able to work, uh, being outside of the home, seeing beyond just being the caregiver at home. Men had a lot more control over women at this time period, and that when the control is gone, dad's away, then mom gets to play. <laughs> oh, 100%. No, 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 that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And and there's even like a hierarchy, right? Because, okay, so if men are at the top of this, this Mansfield hierarchy, and, and honestly, a, a bit you know, with the culture, you have the women, but then at the bottom, okay, so if at the top you have the most control, but you also are not as free in some regards, right? Stanley has to get on his routine. He's got to get his routine. He's got to get to work because he thinks the family owes him something for providing, right? Like since I'm providing you, you, you guys wouldn't survive without me. You need me. So you should almost adore me with, with affection and thanks, which, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's a set of expectations there yeah exactly you can tell the tongue-in-cheek there too when, when mansfield's delivering it but at the bottom you have the children who have the least amount of responsibility especially the three girls well i guess you can count the little boy who just you know is a little spud and is taken care of the baby yeah yeah but you've got the three <laughs> girls right in terms of isabel lottie and kezia and they get to play They've, they've got fantasy. They don't have these expectations put upon them. So they actually have the most amount of freedom and they actually exercise the most amount of fantasy and play as opposed to Stanley, who has probably got the most rigidity in his life. And I think that's where Mansfield thrives is how complex this story is. Again, just having such a, a simple idea of following the lives of these people normal average people i mean these aren't kings or queens or knights or jedi knights these are people just going about their everyday lives but you can see where she's intertwined both the idea of sexism back in the day and ageism back in the day of of how your life changes whether you're a man or a woman at this time period and how old you are is also going to matter what happens in your life. These children don't have those responsibilities like Stanley does. And it feel like sometimes maybe he almost resents them for that, that they still get to have the play and he has to have the pay. Oh, look at you without play on words there. 
<laughs> so let's talk about the beach because, you know, Mansfield even says, hey, it's expected that at 11 o'clock this belongs to women and children, right? Like that's when they can play, the men are at work, that sort of thing. We're, we're playing into that structure, right? But you you get introduced to Beryl, right, the sister-in-law, who, oh, I'm not, I'm not making you sugar, Stanley. Like she's, she's ready to buck the system a little bit. Like I'm not giving you no sugar, right? Because she's also, you'll notice who she's hanging out with at the beach is Mrs. Harry Kember, who married a man 10 years younger. Her house is, I forget the exact words, but it like was messy or something like that. And she specifically just has no interest in playing the female role that society expects of her, right? Almost like she's the person that Beryl kind of wants to embrace more of in herself, right? Like the, the ability to let go of social expectations and just be who she wants to be. And what does that exactly mean, right? From a time period where women are more confined, what is it she wants to be? What What do you think Mansfield has been kind of alluding to through this whole story? And I haven't kind of mentioned it yet because I think Burl is the person, perfect person mm -hmm. to embody this. Okay, tell me more. My um, inclination has to do with her her expression of her desires, perhaps. Uh, where are you mm -hmm. going with it? What kind of desires? <laughs> the the romantic desires, if you will. The idea of the control of sexualization of women. And I think that Burl is wanting to branch out in her sexuality, that she doesn't necessarily want to just get married and have a husband and that be the end of it. And I think that in the story, there is a lot of provocative language that if you look for the sexual innuendos, especially in the opening paragraph, and then some of the, the key adjectives that Mansfield uses throughout the entire story, not just around Burl, that there's a lot of sexual tension hidden in this story that revolves around this character specifically, but in, in generality as well of the story. 100%. And she doesn't want to serve men to that point too, right? But she wants to be around the women. So yeah, I could definitely see that. There are some autobiographical elements that I don't want to necessarily fire too much out to there, but it is worth pointing out that there were some questions about, you know, Catherine Mansfield's herself and those sorts of things. Um, so, so let's say this, let's say she's the one that is being suppressed, but, but has these desires, right? What about the yes. opposite side? What about the mom, Linda Burnell? who who felt almost pushed into the marriage mm -hmm. no she didn't feel, no she didn't feel pushed into the marriage that's not the right words because she saw something in him and the others didn't see right we see at this point we're thinking stanley's 100 percent business gotta have things his way right man right <laughs> but <laughs> but she says he she saw this this more tender side to him the caring side to him and the children just sucked all the life out of her. Something along those lines in the narrative where she's almost like the opposite, where her sexuality is almost like been stolen from her or it's been given away for the energy of taking care of a family. And she's she's just exhausted. She's done. She gives the son to the grandma. She's like, I'm done raising kids. I, I can't do this anymore. I think that Linda is a very complex character. And I think... For me, besides Burl, the main character of the story, even though there is no real main character, but I think there's a lot of good lessons from Linda that age is a, a determining factor in our lives. When she was young, 
Stanley was providing security. He was providing stability in her life. He was providing, you know, something that she didn't have or maybe she would never have, uh, love, money, whatever. And then as they got older and had children, her role changed to something that she maybe didn't sign up for. She's like, I signed up for marriage to be your husband, to be or to be your wife, to be your friend and to be your lover. And now, like, I don't get all those things anymore. I have to be a mom, a mom, and a mom. And I think that that is so true sometimes that, like, and again, I don't have children, but maybe you can speak more to this, that when you have a child, your life pivots to where your whole life almost, or maybe for some people, and in Linda's case, uh, revolves around that child. Everything is eat, breathe, sleep, the children, and that's rough on her. And then to do it three times over... That's got to be difficult. Right, right. I'll say this. You're 100% correct, but and there's even more complexity to layer on top of that because you and I as men, so, I, so for those viewers out there don't know, I have a seven-year-old. A lot of my life changed when I had the child. You're, you're 100% correct. And while my wife went through the same thing, there's a difference for a lot of women, depending on how things go to about their hormones, Right, how their hormones react to things, that it can really change how they value, prioritize, are drawn to certain things, that they have a they potentially have a much different experience compared to men too. So even, you know, I, I can't speak for all men, I can't speak for all women, but I'll just say keep up that open mind that, you know, a person's desires can change, right? And, and the way that you look at something, you can still love, still like something. But the way in which you desire, the way in which you spend time or cherish time with them can change drastically. And I think that's what we see with Linda, right? You know, maybe I painted it to like, oh, I'm exhausted, like giving up. But that, that's not what I mean at all. But I, I mean, she has completely flipped on some level after all of these children that her priorities have changed drastically. And again, it's not just, I think, a psychological thing. This is a physiological thing that she's older she has, you know, maybe she's going through menopause. She's had all these hormonal changes. Her expectations on herself and the outside world, her husband, her parents, her in-laws, her, you know, Beryl, all these people looking differently upon her of like, these are the expectations. That's a lot of pressure. I can only imagine what she's feeling. The stress of all of that uh, coincided with everything else. When does Linda get Linda time? When does she get to be who she wants? You still have to have some of your own self-identity or you're not going to be a good parent. And that's why she struggles maybe being a parent at all, good or bad. Right. And isn't this story a good representation of how we're drawn to certain things? So the way that, to your point earlier, about how Beryl was drawn to Mrs. Harry Kember. Why? Right. That's one question. Another example would be Alice. On her day off, how does she spend her time? And she goes to the the shop owner to spend time, drink tea with her. And the shop owner is sitting there doing what, what type of a person is she, right? She wants her photos blown up and she admits that, you know, with her, without her husband, there'd be more freedom. She's a TikTok girl. <laughs> She's the social media princess is what I would call her nowadays, where need those likes, need that attention, need those clicks. That That's, I think, that a, a way that she is represented in this story. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just some people need that outside affirmation. Okay. Okay. What about the children? We kind of neglected them, unfortunately. They've got this fantasy world where they're playing with the next door neighbors. 
I think they kind of looked, I don't know. I kind of thought that they looked down on them a little bit because there's always that class representation in a Mansfield story, you know, and their caretaker whistles at them almost like a dog. Like, like it felt like they kind of looked down on them to me, but then the trouts come over and they're playing with them. They're digging up the, the sand, the treasure where they find the emerald. Then they play that card game where they're all pretending to be animals, almost becoming animals. Like the, the narrative energy really enters the mind of a child, which I think Mansfield does really, really well. What do these childs, these, these children represent in the context of these adults who long for perhaps something else with how they surround themselves with, with what I think they're longing for. Innocence, um, no responsibility, a time period where you can be free, as you kind of mentioned before. I think the children embody that adventurous spirit of what is and what could be and what happened. <laughs> a little bit of, of being perhaps as opposed to wanting and longing for too, right? Because they can enact. Yeah these fantasies and do the things that they want to. And even, you know, when you look at how uh, Trout met Linda later, the way he was so chivalrous with kissing her hand and stuff like that, you can see there's a lot of like, you know, you can almost compare this to Dubliners, like on a much smaller scale, because in Dubliners, you had all that talk about public life, about my responsibilities. And you see that here with this one. And remember at the end with the dead, when we talk about regret, when we talk about, do I look back on my life and be proud? I think, you know, that last scene with Linda and Trout really showed how you can reflect and perhaps long for for this this fantasy of a different life even. And she kind of gets that eventually, right? I think that somehow that interaction inspired her to be appreciative of what she does have. And I, a lot of times we do take for granted what we have. And, and not to say that Linda does, but I think that that instilled in her a thought of, maybe I am happy. I just needed an outside perspective or I needed clarity on what is happiness or what is my happiness. And at the end of the story, then Linda kind of has an epiphany of that. She falls in love with her baby boy for a lack of better words. And I, I think reinvigorates that love in her heart of her children, her life herself for that matter. Mm -hmm. or, or even when she shared a moment on the beach, when she looked at her boy and, and, kind of had like some of that joy again. And then at the end, when Stanley came back, you could see, we see a different version of Stanley. He's not all Mr. Has to be my way. Bra, 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 bra. He, he's like, you know, honey, I'm sorry. And she's like, for what? He's like, well, I, I left without, you know, being saying you saying goodbye and such. And, and I, I think deep down inside Stanley does care, but he's got that pull. He, he, he's got the grind. He's got to reach. He's got to provide for the family. He's got to he's got to perform that role that's expected of him for him to be the the burnout provider. Yeah, exactly. And I think it comes back to that. There are so many layers to this story, and that's why Mansfield is so good. We have the, you know, sexism and ageism and classism. And then just again, she's layering on something here at the end is that relationships evolve. People evolve, things evolve, everything's always changing. And in just one simple day, we can see all of these different people evolve from who they want to be, who they think they should be, and who they actually truly are, and how they influence each other as well. I think, I really do think that this is a very tight modernist story. The vignettes, how they're connected and can kind of explore themes about responsibility, to your point about pride, vanity, uh, relationships, expectations. I, I just. I, I do think it is quite good, but at the same time, I feel like, I, did you get a set, did you, did you enjoy reading every minute or were there some parts that felt pulled back? Did, did you feel that the, 
the conversation of this is stronger than the actual reading of it. <laughs> you were reading my mind. <laughs> We've been doing this too many years. I was literally going to say, I love talking about this story. I don't know if I love reading this story. It felt a little bloated at times. There was some filler here or there uh, that it, it could have been maybe a little bit more heavy-handed in the editing room and, and tightened up at a few places and that maybe five pages shorter, maybe I would have uh, enjoyed it a little bit more if it was a little bit of faster read, but it felt long for a short story. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to read things different ways, and I don't think anyone should be shamed for having an opinion on things. To me, I really enjoyed the story. So I guess, you know, the tiebreaker comes down to you, the audience member. Let us know what your thoughts were on this one. Did you think it was too long? Did you think it was the right length and explored the right things? Let us know. My name has been Una. Playlist down below of all of our other Catherine Mansfield talks. Peace. Peace.